boy, this this is uh, this is dangerous territory, and I must I must tread lightly here. This one's radio episode eight hundred and seventeen starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 here we are, end of another month, and uh, you know what that means. It means it's time for a little uh, Q&A action around these parts. A little you ask, I answer, and uh, hopefully the answers are actually somewhat useful for a change. Hopefully they're actually helpful uh, and, uh, and, and kind of help you get going or help you understand something or help you move forward towards your goals, whatever the case might be. Uh, we do this every month. The last, the last Friday of each month is dedicated to nothing but your questions and hopefully some, some decent, uh, to, to, to moderately good coaching advice coming directly from me to you. Uh, if you want to get your questions featured, next month or the next month or any month down the road, uh, you can send them to me at any time, but, but I will say that, uh, the best way without a doubt, the best way to get them on the show is to go ahead and join the Facebook group. Uh, just point your browser to disruns.com slash Facebook, or the next time you're on Facebook, just search for the disruns tribe, click to, uh, you know, click to join. We'll let you in. And, uh, you know, somewhere in the, the middle of the month or the, the, you know, the, the second early part of the second half of the month, I put a, a post out that says, Hey, what are your questions for this month? You put your questions in the comments. I go through and answer them on the show. Uh, that way they're all in one place. If you send them to me via email or on Twitter or something like that, I will do my best to keep track of them, but I definitely offer no promises. There's been, uh, a couple of questions that uh, have gotten lost in the shuffle because let's face it. My inbox is a disaster. It's a bit of a black hole where things where messages just go to get lost. So better to have them all in one place, uh, in the Facebook group. Uh, once again, disruns.com slash Facebook, or just join, click to join the disruns tribe the next time you're on Facebook. Uh, before we dive into questions today, I do want to take one second and give a shout out to, uh, my new buddy, Aiden, who I got to have lunch with, uh, a couple of weeks ago while his dad and his family were, uh, passing through town on their way to, uh, to a cruise, um, leaving out of Tampa. Uh, they, they swung by, swung, swung by the hood and we got to, to hang out for a little bit. And I uh, just want to say thanks for uh, thanks for the great conversation, buddy. It was it was a fun fun time. And uh, even though apparently your dad doesn't think you're always listening, you proved him wrong because uh, you know what you know what's going on. You know you're paying a little bit of attention. So uh, thanks for hanging out, uh, Chris, Christy, and uh, Addison. Good to, good to meet you all in person as well. So now let's uh, let's go ahead and get after it because we got a bunch of questions today. Um, and hopefully, with a little luck, my voice will hold up through, I don't know, whatever it is, 23, 24, 25 questions, something like that. Uh, and hopefully, this won't turn into a six-hour podcast, but I make no promises on that front either. So, first question coming from David. He says, uh, hey, Diz, love the podcast. My question is, there are numerous ways to describe speed work, i.e. fartleks, tempo runs, etc. Can you explain the differences? Are there differences or are they just different terms to describe basically the same thing? So, uh, David, great, great question. And one of those things that I think that, uh, maybe those that are, those of us that are in the running world or have been in the running world for world in the running world, goodness, easy for me to say, uh, it's, it's easy for us to forget sometimes that, uh, maybe when people are a little bit newer to the sport, um, 
you know, we, we don't always know what all the terminology means. And we start throwing around terms that uh, kind of leaves people going away. What, what are you even saying? So uh, great question. And there's definitely differences. Although I will say this, when it comes to introducing speed work or hard workouts, um, for most of us, while each of them is different and they all do serve a slightly different purpose uh, and, and have slightly different training effects, for most of us, it's not super vital to try to, to mix in just the right type of speed work or hard workouts. All right. Now, if you're at the elite sub elite, maybe level, then there's a bit more science to it, a bit more of, of, you know, strategery about how you, you know, which workouts you put in where and, and how that all shakes out. But for most of us, we're going to get the desired benefit uh, of going hard once in a while, no matter if we're doing a short interval workout, a long tempo run, uh, some type of fartleks. I mean, there's 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 benefits to all of those things, and most of us aren't fine tuned enough to really know or really benefit from one benefit more from one to the other. So, just want to put that out there. Don't don't stress yourself out trying to think of which which exact type of workout you should do when in your training program. Do a pick a workout, get after it. And you're going to get benefit from it. So, w- with all that said, what are the different types of workouts? What what do they what do they all mean? So, um, there are probably an almost you know uh, maybe not quite infinite, but there's there's a lot of different ways that you can dissect each type of workout. So I'll just kind of do uh, kind of the general overview of a few of the common types of workouts, and just know that you can you can slice and dice and stack and put things together in a bunch of different ways. Um, I'll try to at least mention them a little bit, but this, this could be a whole, um, podcast and a half in and of itself, just breaking down each different type of workout. So, uh, kind of your, your main categories are some type of, of interval or repeats. And that's, you know, kind of like the, the name implies you're, you're doing things over and over again. Either it's an interval of, of, you know, run hard and then recover with a, a walk or an easy jog and then run hard again. And, and, you know, repeat kind of same terminology, or at least I tend to use them interchangeably when I'm talking about different type of workouts, intervals or, or repeats, basically the same thing. And and you can break that down again, any number of ways. It could be by time. You could do a one minute, two minute, five minute type of, of interval where you're running hard for say two minutes, then doing a, a walk and a jog for about two minutes to recover, go hard again. And you can do that, you know, three times, five times, 10 times, depending on your level of fitness, what you're trying to get out of it. You know, you can, you can, increase that, decrease that based on your needs. You can do it for distance. You can do quarter mile, half mile, one mile, um, pretty much no, uh, limits to what you can do. You can do a a pyramid type of thing where you start out maybe at, uh, you know, 30 seconds and the next repeat is a minute and then a minute and a half and two minutes and then work your way back down. So it creates a a pyramid type of shape. You can, you can play with the different variables of an interval or, or repeat workout in a bunch of different ways. But those workouts tend to be a little bit shorter in the distance, so you're really going hard. You're going for a you know a nine nine and a half out of ten. It's it's not quite all out max sprints, but it's pretty darn close. And especially the, the shorter the, the duration or the shorter the interval, the harder you're going. So that's one type of hard workout is uh, an interval or a, a repeat type of workout. Another one, like you mentioned, is a tempo run, also sometimes referred to as a uh, lactate type of run or a lactate threshold run. The idea with these is that you're not going quite as hard, probably like an eight or an 8.5 out of 10, something like that. Um, but you're, you're going kind of just below that red line pace, uh, but a pace where it's still hard, you're still working hard. But then the idea is to maintain it 
for three, four, five, six miles. So, so you go kind of right at that level, that threshold level of, of where I can, I can maintain this, but only just, and the effort is, is hard to maintain it. Um, and, and just steady there. Try to keep it as steady as possible. Uh, you're not trying to get faster. You're not trying to, to slow down. You're not trying to, to go hard out of the gate and then hold like it's, it's ideally your plus or minus a couple of seconds on either direction of, you know, your goal pace, whatever it might be. Um, the rule of thumb for most tempo runs is at least for the ones that are in kind of that three, four, five mile range is to go, uh, like a, a, about eight to 10 seconds slower than your 5k, uh, pace, you know, your 5k PR type of pace. So it's almost, almost right there, uh, to a point where you can't quite quite maintain it, but just underneath it and then push out the distance a little bit longer. And that helps to build up your body's ability to process lactic acid, which, uh, we've talked about lactic acid before. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it again, but that's a, a byproduct of, of anaerobic glycolysis that causes you to causes muscle muscle failure ultimately. Uh, meaning that as it builds up, your, your muscles can't keep going as hard. So as your, as your body gets more adept at processing it, you're able to maintain that higher pace for a little bit longer. And that helps you to obviously kick harder at the end of a race, go kind of at that suicide pace for a little bit longer during like a 5k or the final kick of a run or a kick of a race, something like that. Fartlek runs are, um, another type of speed work that fartlek is actually a, a Swedish term that, uh, is, is been known to, to mean uh, speed play or that that is what it means. It's, it's, uh, uh, Swedish for speed play, meaning, uh, it's kind of like an interval kind of, of one of those types of things where you're, you're picking up your paces and then you're recovering, but instead of having fairly set intervals, you know, of, of one minute on one minute off, one minute on one minute off, it varies. So sometimes it might be seven minutes on and five minutes to recover and then 30 seconds on and two minutes to recover. It's just, it's just random. Now you can have like set routes, like the, the group that I used to run with regularly, we have a, a, a fart like route. So it's, you know, from this intersection to this intersection, we're going hard. And then we recover to this spot. And then at the street light, we go hard up the hill. And then we recover to this point at the park. And then, you know, but it's, it's set, but it's all random. Each of the, the recovery windows, each of the hard effort windows are all different. And so that's, that's what a fart like is. It's kind of a bit more loosey goosey. Some people love them. Some people hate them. I'm a, I'm kind of a fan myself, if I, if I must say, but that's, that's what a fart like run is. Um, you can also do mix some, some hard workouts or some speed type of workouts into a long run. You can do a fast finish. You can do a progressive run. Um, th- there's a whole host of ways that you can introduce speed work in various forms, various fashions into your, into your training. Um, but the moral of the story is, as I, as I say regularly, the bulk of your training diet should be easy runs. But then you mix these hard runs in once in a while, and uh, it really can help fine tune. Really can help boost you, boost you up a little bit. Uh, lots of benefits to it. So hope that that all makes sense. I know I could probably keep going for another ten or fifteen minutes to to try to nail it down even more. But like I said, we got a bunch of questions today, so we gotta gotta jump off this one. But uh, thank you for the question, David. And uh, hopefully, like I said, that makes sense. And if there's more that I can clear up for you, let me know, and we'll get to that next month. Uh, next question comes from Jen. She says, uh, "I am really." Cognitive of drinking a lot of water during spring, fall, and summer before and during runs. In the winter, I am not. I tend to drink seltzer, coconut water, hot tea, and zero sugar Gatorade. Is water the best to hydrate with, or is any liquid that is caffeine-free okay? Um, Jen, this one's this one's really pretty pretty simple. Yeah, water is the best, but it's not like it's it's the only thing. You know, the, the, the stuff that you're drinking, the seltzer water, the coconut water, the tea, uh, the, the Gatorade, that all works. And, and to be quite honest with you, um, you know, things like coffee, even caffeinated tea, they work too. They work too. There's, there's a lot of, you know, caffeine is uh, a diuretic. It, it is. Okay. 
That said, something like coffee, something that doesn't have tons and tons and tons of coffee in it or caffeine in it, sorry, so something like a regular cup of coffee, uh, you know, black tea, things like that, that do have some caffeine in it, it's not enough to outset the amount of water that, that uh, you would retain or the, the hydration effect of, say, six, a six-ounce cup of coffee. So, you know, I, I'm making up numbers here, but just to try to illustrate the point a bit better, say a six-ounce um, cup of water, six ounces of water, um, has, uh, you know, a net effect of 20% or whatever has a net effect of just, since I'm making up numbers, and I don't need to pretend like I'm being accurate here. Six ounces of water means that your, your hydration, uh, levels increase by a factor of 10. Okay. Just making up numbers, but let's say that's the case. So your six ounces of, of coffee that has some caffeine in it, maybe that only has an impact to a factor of seven and a half. All right. Is it, does it rehydrate you as much as water? No. Does it result in you being dehydrated as a, you know, less hydrated as a result of it? Also no. So you can mix in a cup of coffee. You can mix in some tea. You can certainly mix in coconut water or, you know, zero calories drinks or whatever, those types of things, all fine, all fine. Um, when it comes to, to hydration. So, you know, yes, err on the side of more water than, than others or other types of drinks, but don't sweat the small stuff, uh, you know, this winter or the spring or whatever about drinking some other things as well. You're, you're good. You're good. All right. So, uh, hope that that, uh, clears it up for you. Let's you not worry too much about having a little bit of tea here and there, a little bit of coconut water, maybe a cup of coffee once in a while as well. You're still, you're still moving the needle in the right direction. I promise. So thank you for the question, Jen. Uh, next one comes from Anna says, uh, I saw this new metric on Strava. It's called, uh, the grade adjusted pace. How useful would it be uh, to, or how useful would this information be? I've always ultimately judged a run by how I feel about my heart rate and not necessarily my pace on the watch or not necessarily worrying about what the pace on my watch was showing me. Um, and I, I can tell you that I pay absolutely zero attention. I, I don't say that I notice the great adjusted pace, my level of care about what my grade, adju- grade adjusted pace is, is legitimately zero. I could care less. Um, like you said, uh, I'm more worried about how the run feels. I'm more worried about making sure my heart rate is where I want it to be. Uh, I, I don't really care that much about pace. I'd love to see my pace getting faster while my heart rate stays low, of course. Um, but there are so many more metrics that are more valuable to, to judge your run by than pace and then a great adjusted pace because, you know, heaven forbid, you know, in this world of, of social media where it's like, oh, my, my pace for today's run was 10, 10, 11, but, but it was mostly uphill. So actually my great adjusted pace was, was nine thirty seven Like who cares? I don't, I don't care. Maybe some of y'all care. That's, that's fine. If that's something that you care about, I say, don't worry about it at all. It, it really, you know, channeling my inner uh, Dwayne Johnson here. It doesn't matter what your great adjusted pace is. That's how I feel about it. Um, and, and I feel like if you're judging your runs by how you feel, what your heart rate is, things like that, you know, yeah, you can keep an eye on your great adjusted pace, but eh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stress about what it's telling you versus what your watch pace is. Like none of those stuff, none of those metrics really matter during a training run where, you know, going as hard as you can, isn't really the goal. Isn't really the goal. So, uh, yeah. Keep an eye on it if you want, but it doesn't really matter as far as I'm concerned. Uh, next question from Ryland says, what are your uh, favorite racing flats for the two mile through the 5k budget is around $125. Uh, Ryland, uh, you're, you're, it's, it's a valid question. I, I certainly have no issues with the question. You're just barking up the wrong tree, bro. Cause, uh, I really, uh, the last thing that I'm worried about is racing flats. I'm not fast enough to worry about a racing flat is the moral of the story. Um, and I'm certainly not uh, worried about being uh, a quarter of a second faster in the 5k because my, my shoes are, you know, an ounce or, you know, a half an ounce 
lighter because it's a racing flat versus the, the standard type of uh, minimally cushioned shoe that I'd wear anyway. So all that to say, and I'm not trying to poo-poo your question, obviously, but um, I have no knowledge. I, I have never bought racing flats, um, and I can't really foresee a situation where I ever will buy a racing flat. So for me to try to recommend uh, a, a, a racing flat or to say that I have a favorite would be just ingenuine. So um, my, my, you know, for me, it's not a, a factor. Um, and, and honestly, most of the racing flats from what I, from the little bit of knowledge that I do have on the subject, they're all six and one half dozen or the other, you know? So it's, it's all about what feels right for you. What, what the fit is right. What the, the, the amount of support that may or may not be there, but most of them don't have much. Most of them are as, as lightweight as they come. So just find one that, that works for you. Find one that, 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 that has the feel and the look and the things like that, that you want and go with it. And I would th- I would say that probably you're going to be able to be under your budget for most of them. Cause I don't feel like, like there's not a lot to them for the most part. So, uh, hopefully, you know, there's not as big of a price tag to them as there are to some other shoes that are out there that have a bit more, a bit more substance has gone into them. So, uh, good luck, but I, I'm sorry that I don't have a better answer for you, but I just don't, I racing flats is not a world that I live in. So, uh, I, I apologize to you for uh, not having a better answer to the question. Next one up from Greg. Is there any way to train for a warm spring race when it's cold for four to five months leading up to it? Yeah. Yeah, there is Greg. Uh, I'm not sure you're going to like the answer. I'm not sure that I'm even like giving you the answer, but there is a way. Um, there's a couple ways actually. Uh, but first and foremost, you know, I think that, that sometimes we get too caught up in trying to make everything perfect when it comes to training. You know, there's, there's no doubt that heat cannon is a factor, especially if you've been training in the cold and all of a sudden it's, it's a spring race and it's a bit warmer than what the bulk of your training has been like. It's, you know, it's going to affect you, but let's not forget that being well-trained always, even well-trained in the cold to race in the, in the hot, that's, that's, that's a net positive. You're still well-trained. All right. But to try to adapt a little bit, to try to adjust, to try to maybe wrap your head around running in the warm, what can you do? Well, again, the answer that that you're probably not going to like, and that I'm not going to like give you is run inside, run inside, get on the treadmill, run on an indoor track, someplace where it's a little bit warmer. Certainly it's going to be a lot warmer than, than the outdoor winter conditions might be. So you, you get in, you get inside and get your miles in, in there. If it's not, you know, if it's, if it's a gym that kind of keeps things cool or a track, that's kind of not a super heated area, maybe you're running inside, but you still need to layer up. You dress like you're running outside, but you're running inside to get some of that heat training effect. Um, and then, you know, as the weather warms up and you're, you're, or, or if you just hate the idea of running inside, you just run outside, but you dress way warmer than what the conditions dictate. So maybe you've got your go-to gear for when it's 30 degrees outside, but because it's 30 degrees and you're, you're starting to try to, to adjust to, to heat training type of situation for a spring race or a summer race, or you're traveling somewhere South where the, the, the heat is going to be a factor. Uh, you, you dress like it's zero out, even though it's 30, you way overdress and, and you, you work through that. Now I will say, if you're going to do that type of heat train, just be careful, be cognizant, um, you know, be aware of the signs of, of heat illness and things like that, which we wouldn't normally be too aware of training in January and February and March in some of the, the colder climates, but because you're, you're trying to replicate the heat, you need to be aware of what those signs and symptoms are of the nausea and the, the unexplained dizziness and maybe the, the blurred vision and, and some of those types of things. Make sure you're still sweating. Make sure you're taking in plenty of, of fluids. You, know, you got to make sure that you're, you're not just simulating the conditions to your body, but also making sure you're doing the, the proper other things to mitigate the risk. But, but yeah, that's, that's how you do it. If, if you're worried about training for, for something hot, you get inside, you layer up, and you, you do your best to, to simulate 
the hotter conditions that you're going to see on race day um, and make it, make it happen artificially so that you, you can be as prepared as possible when you go from the cold to the warm on race day. So uh, good luck with that. I, I, I feel like you're not going to really enjoy running inside, so maybe it's just layering up big time to run outside. Um, but you got to do what you got to do, or you just say, you know what, forget it. I'll just do, I'll just do my training and, uh, worry about the heat on race day, which is probably what I would do. Um, although obviously that's not, not an issue that I really have to deal with very much running in Florida. So, uh, it is, it is what it is, but, uh, thanks for the question, Greg. And, uh, hope that that helps you gear up for, uh, your, your spring race. Um, Karen question from Karen says, uh, if you could only run one more race in your life, which one would you choose? Um, this is a tricky question because the race I would choose would be Boston for obvious reasons. I mean, y'all have heard me talk about Boston ad nauseum for the last five years, uh, as, as being my goal race. And it's, it is still is my goal race. And if that was the only race that I could do, if, that, if I only had one more race in me, I would want to make that one happen. That said, at this point, clearly I haven't qualified for Boston yet. So I'd have to do it as a charity runner, which I don't have a problem with that, but really part of my goal of, of running Boston is, is qualifying. So it's a little bit tricky because ideally I would like to maybe have two races left. Um, one, which I don't care where it is, just one that I can qualify with. And then, you know, the, the swan song would be, uh, actually running the Boston marathon. But, you know, to answer the question, Karen is, as you asked it, only have one more race in my life, Boston. That's, I mean, there's probably other races out there that I might enjoy as much or more, but that's, that's the one for, that's the unicorn for me, you know, literally and, and metaphorically, I guess. Um, and that, that would absolutely be the race that I would run if I only had one race left. But thankfully, at least uh, I hope, uh, I have many more races than me with Boston, just being, being one of them, one of the many that are still in my future. But thank you for the question, ma'am. Uh, next question comes from Leslie. She says, uh, what are your favorite mantras to say when a run gets difficult? Um, Great question, Leslie, and one that uh, I, I I don't have multiple mantras really to, to give you, but I do have I do have the one. My my one mantra is uh, basically take the next step. Not basically, that is that is what the, the mantra is. Um, so much so that I got it, you know, permanently written on my arm, uh, just so that in, in case I forget, in case I, I'm really struggling and my mind's not not uh, wanting to think positive thoughts, all I got to do is look down and it reminds me take the next step. And it's, it's, it's actually a mantra that I use, not just for my running life, but, uh, for my every, everyday life, you know, when, when I'm not feeling it work-wise, when I'm not feeling it, um, thankfully, typically I'm feeling it in my family life, but you know, when I'm having, when I'm having one of those days, it's there on my arm, take the next step, just keep moving forward. And certainly when it comes to running, that's, that's the name of the game. A lot of times it's just keep moving forward. Even, even when it's, what's tough and you're like, God, I still got six miles or eight miles or 15 miles or however much left. And it seems daunting. Just take the next step and then worry about the next step after that. You know, I just worry about one step at a time. Um, sounds trite, but it, it helps. It helps me for sure. Absolutely. I look down, take the next step. And so that's, that's absolutely my go-to mantra in, uh, in pretty much in running life and everything in between at this point. But I'm always, always looking for more, always on the lookout for other sayings, other mantras, other things to keep in mind. Uh, but that's mine. What about, what about you, uh, Leslie or anybody else? What, what are your mantras? Love to hear other, other words that, that, uh, or mantras, sayings that y'all have. Uh, so let me know those, uh, if you would be so inclined, cause I, I would be curious to know what, what works for you, uh, when you're out there and things are struggling, but thank you for the question, Leslie really uh, do appreciate it. Uh, next question comes from Deb. She says, uh, another awkward question from Deb with a little winky, winky face guy. She says, why am I getting slower? Like a minute and 30 seconds per mile over the past four years. Uh, she says, I'll be 52 in two weeks. So happy birthday, Deb. If, uh, yeah, I guess you got from the time you answered, asked the question to the, to here it is coming out about a week left. So, uh, happy, happy early birthday. Uh, she says, how much time off my pace should I expect to lose? If any, maybe I'm just out of shape as I age. So, uh, Deb, there's, there's certainly 
a lot of variables at play here. And it's, it's tough to, to nail down as far as um, why you're getting slower and how much should you expect your pace to drop off? Uh, should you expect your pace to, to drop off? So I think it's, it's fairly safe to say that at some point, father time catches up to us all, right? You know, depending on how long you've been running, it might be, you know, you, you might set all your PRs at 25 and, and never set a PR again because of, you know, being at a high level of fitness, coming out of college, whatever. Maybe that's what the case. Maybe you didn't start running until you're 40, in which case it would make a lot of sense that you would still be seeing PRs, still be an improvement into, into well through your 40s, maybe even into your 50s, uh, maybe even mid-50s. You know, it depends on when you start, how serious you're training, lots of variables. Um, but at some point, I think it's, again, I think it's pretty safe to say our fastest days are going to be behind us. So, you know, that's, that certainly can pay, play part of it. Now, you know, other, other factors that could be at play, what's your training been like of late? What's your sleep been like? How much attention you've been paying to the little things? Um, you know, all, all of the, the factors that go into our success and growth as runners, you know, all those could be playing a factor. And I don't know, you know, based on your question, I don't know exactly what that's like in your life right now, Deb. So there's, there's those types of factors, how much stress is going on, how, you know, just how is your overall health? Uh, there's those factors could be, you know, even though maybe you feel like you're training as much as ever, if other pieces of the puzzle aren't really in place and that could result in slower paces, uh, in, in, you know, that, that, that are, have nothing necessarily to do with, with getting older, but there's just other factors in life. Um, if you're judging your pace based off of like specific races, it could just been a bad race. You know, that, that could be part of the problem. It could have been a, a bad day at the office. Could have been too hot. Could have been a hilly course. Could have been a, a technical trail or a more technical trail. And so you, you kind of lose sight of that. And you're just going, Oh my gosh, I'm so much slower, but there's external factors that are at play. Um, Maybe it is that you're, that you're just getting older, but, um, I hesitate to say that that's exactly what it is. Could be, could be, could be, or and maybe more likely it's one factor of many that are leading to some slower paces. So, you know, you can't control the, the, the aging one, right? Like, like, you know, we're all going to get older until one day we don't. And, you know, at that point your paces are, are not the most important thing, right? Anymore. Uh, when you, when you're not getting any older, what paces you were running, that that's kind of irrelevant. So while we're still alive on the earth, while we're still kicking, you know, we're, we're getting older every day. All right. So we can't control that variable. It's going to happen, but we can control the other variables. We can make sure we're training smart, training intelligently, getting rest, listening to our bodies, maybe doing some cross training, maybe sleeping a little bit more, maybe doing some, some yoga, maybe, um, running a little bit less, but running more strategically so that we're rested and recovered for each workout, as opposed to going in with a half tank all the time. So there's some other things that we can do. And my, my guess for you, Deb, is that if you maybe look at some of those other factors, maybe, maybe you're at that point where you are going to keep getting slower, but maybe the, for lack of a better way of saying it, the rate of decline, the, the, the rate of, uh, how much slower you're getting each, each year, we can, we can tamp that off a little bit and really slow it down so that instead of losing, a minute and a half every, every couple, three, four years, you're losing 20 seconds every couple, three, four years. And so you're able to maintain a bit more of the pace that you have now longer and who knows, maybe even reverse it a little bit too. So, um, hope all that makes sense, but it's, it's really tough to, to nail it down one way or the other, uh, because there's just so many variables at play and age is, age is a variable, no question about it, but it's just a variable and it's not necessarily the most dominant variable in the, in the equation either. So, um, keep that in mind, look at some other variables and see if there's, there's some ways that maybe you can't slow down that, that speed decrease, or maybe even, like I said, turn it around 
and start moving things back in the right direction of getting faster. If that's something that you want to work towards, but thank you for the awkward question, Deb, always appreciate it. And I uh, never, never, never worried about an awkward question from you. In fact, kind of embrace them. So thank you for, for sending that one my way. Uh, next question comes from Rob. He says, uh, how do you, how do I know if I'm being lazy or I need a break in my training? I came across something that said, if I'm tired, go anyway. If I'm tired the next day, take a day off. What is your take? Uh, Rob, it's a, it's a great question because it's one of those that, that the answer is virtually impossible. And, and I think it's one of those that's trying to answer it correctly in the moment is where it is, is the biggest struggle. It's, it's easy to answer that question, I think, with the benefit of hindsight. So kind of what I tend to do, you know, my take on the situation, if I'm talking about myself, um, because let's not fa- let's not kid ourselves. We all have those days where we're like, God, I just don't want to go. All right. I do. You do. Everybody listening does. It's just, we're human, right? We got other things going on in our lives. We got other stressors, other, other things that are demanding our attention. And some days it's like, God, I just don't want to go run today. All right. Thankfully I don't have those days too often. Hopefully you don't either, but I do. So when I have those days, I try to still get out there. Kind of like you said, you know, go anyway, but I'm willing to give myself some grace. I'm willing to say, Hey, you know what? Today I'm just not feeling it. So instead of doing my five and a half miles that I would normally do for a Tuesday, I'll get three. Or instead of doing my 15 miles that I would, had planned for the weekend, I'll get, you know, eight or 10. I'll get something in. Sometimes, maybe about half the time, just getting out the door is enough to kind of shake the, the doldrums off of it after a mile or two. And I'm all right, well, screw it. I'll just do the, the whole workout. I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. Sometimes it doesn't happen. In which case, like I said, I'll give myself the grace. I'll, I'll be okay with cutting a run short. The way I know if, I, if I'm just having a day or if I really need a break is if that feeling kind of lingers, maybe even gets a little bit worse day after day after day for several days, maybe into a week or, or more consistently where I'm just, I'm just not feeling it ever. Instead, you know, it's one thing to not feel it for a day. It's one thing to, it's another thing to not feel it for two. It's, it's a whole different ball game when you haven't been feeling it for the last week and a half. When it's that case, pretty clear that you just need to take a few days off, maybe take a, a week off, maybe take the rest of the month off, depending on where it falls on the calendar. Um, just kind of get away. And I'm not afraid to do that. I've done that several times as well. Um, so that's kind of how, how I know, but it's, it's, it really is less of a, in the, in the moment, knowing for sure. And it's more of like, all right, I'm not feeling it today. So let's, let's see what I can do. Maybe it's take a day off. Maybe it's, like I said, adjust a run, do, do something, but not do as much as normal and then see what it's like the next day and give it three or four or five days. And if, if the, the feeling kind of just like, it's not coming back, I'm not getting refreshed at all. Then, Hey, then let's take, let's take several days off, regroup a little bit, get a little extra sleep, maybe do a little extra biking or some yoga or something else to stay active, but not run. And usually that's all it takes to snap me back into shape. I'm just all of a sudden looking forward to a run again, boom, back out there. So hopefully that helps for you, Rob. But yeah, it's something, like I said, all of us are going to deal with if we run long enough, multiple times in our running careers. And it's, it's hard to know in the moment, but just kind of make your best judgment. Um, but the biggest thing, no matter what you decide, I think, I think give yourself grace. You know, we're not, we're not perfect. We're not all elites. We're not all doing this for a living. In fact, I would argue none of us are elites. None of us are doing this for a living. So if you have to take a day or two or three or a week, it's okay. It's okay. You got 52 other weeks or 51 other weeks in the year. You'll be fine. You still have a good positive year. Even if it costs you a week here and there, to just kind of back off, catch your breath, refresh, and then get back out there. So thank you for the question, Rob. A uh, question from Michaela. This is, this is a fun one. She says, okay, so here we go. Let's say 
someone has just done a marathon and maybe even an, a, a 50K ultra. How can this person stay in half marathon shape? Maybe throw in a 20 miler every now and then? What should a basic training plan or training week be? And she doesn't say asking for a friend, but let's just assume that she's asking for a quote unquote friend, right? Uh, Michaela, thank you for the, for the question. Uh, and and uh, if people have been following the, the Q&As for a while and, and following some of your posts in the Facebook group, uh, congratulations on your first ultra marathon finish, uh, 50K. Congratulations, job well done coming off of a marathon, 50K. Now, this quote unquote person, not saying it's you, not saying it's not you, but just, you know, you know, uh, this person, how is this person going to stay in like half marathon shape when kind of just coming off the tails of two much longer races? Honestly, this is easy peasy. This, this isn't, you know, don't, don't overthink this one. Don't, uh, don't make it more complicated than it is. My, my advice, if it were me, or if I, if, if I was, if I was coaching somebody, this is what I would tell them to do. Uh, it, you know, to stay in half marathon shape, make your standard long run be something like eight, 10, 11 miles, something like that. Something that's not quite half marathon, but you know, it's, it's close. And then maybe once every, I don't know, four weeks, once every six weeks, something like that. Once every month and, or month and a half, stretch it out to something like 13 to 15. So you're going beyond that half marathon distance, just a nice easy pace. No, no, no real hard race pace, but just nice, easy, stretch the legs out a little bit longer, uh, get, you know, 13, 14, 15 miles in, and then go back to, you know, your standard eight to 10, 11, something like that. Um, if you, if you do that fairly consistently, you can miss a week here and there. You don't have to be perfect, but you know, kind of following that general, uh, guideline, you can, you can literally jump in a half marathon on a Wednesday and you know, Oh yeah, there's a half marathon in three days. I might as well sign up for it and I'm going to go out and race it and you'll be fine. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be half marathon ready from now until forever. If you want to make it, you know, maybe even just a little bit touch higher level, you can make that standard long run instead of eight to 10 or eight to 11, make it 11, 12. Um, and then I would say you're even more in, in constant state of readiness to like really race hard. But even if you're, if you're regularly doing eight, nine, 10 miles a week, mixing in 12, 13, 14, 15, once every month and a half, or if this person, I'm sorry, not, not singling out you out, Michaela. If this person that you know is in that situation, that person, he or she will be ready to do a half marathon any old time. Um, and, th- and then the, 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 the real, I think, bonus of that is that if slash when this person that you know decides to uh, sign up for another marathon or another 50K, man, it makes that training that much easier. Instead of needing 12, 16 weeks to build up to it, you're talking, you know, eight, 10 weeks to build up to it. Um, and, and that would even be, longer than would be absolutely required, but that gives you plenty of time to like build up gradually and intelligently. So, you know, being at that half marathon level of readiness, I feel like for a lot of us is probably the, the, the ideal place to be because it's, we're, we're always ready to jump into a half and we're never more than six or eight weeks being able to, to jump into a full, if we want to, maybe not to race it hard, but to jump into it, do it. I feel like that's, that's a place I like to be. And, uh, Hopefully this person that you're speaking of, Michaela, that's a place where he or she would like to be as well. So thank you for the question, madam. And, and once again, congratulations on uh, your recent race success. Welcome to Club 50K. Glad to have another member. Uh, question from North Dakota, Mr. Lesterberg. John asks, uh, what are the chances of that a recurring injury has to do with an imbalance? Strain my left calf for the second time in about a year. At first, assumed that the culprit was a combo of not enough sleep slash falling down almost an entire staircase while holding a three-year-old, parenthesis, she's fine. Uh, but 
as it's lingered, I'm wondering if it might not be due to a weaker right side. Part two, what are some good exercises to help correct said imbalance? Uh, John, I, I think that, uh, you know, save for the fact that falling down a flight of stairs, that's, that's probably a pretty good way to injure yourself. But uh, to, to the direct part of your question, what are the chances that a recurring injury has to do with an imbalance? I'd say it's pretty good. Not cut and dry, not 100%. But, you know, let's think about things. When, when, when our bodies break down, when we deal with an injury, especially if it's a recurring type of thing, especially if it's, you know, most of those running type of injuries where it's a, it's a strain, it's, a, it's an itis, it's something like that, that, that happens from the repetitive motion of running. You know, a chain's only as strong as its weakest link, right? And so if you've got an imbalance, that right there is, is a weak link. Maybe not, maybe not always the weakest, maybe not the only, but if you're, you know, whatever, if, if your right side is much stronger than your left side, much more stable, has much better balance than your, than your other side, one side or the other, that's, that's stacking the deck in your favor that the, that the weaker side is going to, you know, suffer an injury. I mean, it's just, it's just, that's, that's where the weaker, weaker link is, right? So that's where it's more likely if something's going to go wrong, not guaranteed, but more likely that it's going to be there. Um, so it's definitely worth trying to address that. Definitely worth trying to improve it. Uh, so how do you do that? Well, you know, when it comes to lower body stuff, uh, certainly, you know, kind of judging from your, your left calf situation here, I'm guessing lower body. Um, one thing that, that you can, can do is try to not do as many exercises that are both legs at the same time. So squats are great. You know, squats are a great exercise, great to build strength, um, great great to great all the way around the whole legs, you know, working the, the hips and the, the knees and the, the ankles, uh, through ranges of motion, working the muscles that, that connect above and below. So working your calves, quads, hamstrings, glutes, it does everything. Squats are a great exercise. The problem is if you have one side that's significantly stronger than the other, when you're doing a squat, whether it's weighted or body weight, doesn't matter. Your dominant side is going to do most of the work. I mean, that's just, that's just how our bodies operate. If we got, you know, what's the, what's the most efficient way to do it? Well, it's not to go, Oh, my right side is, is way stronger than my left side. So let me, let me do more work with my left side here to try to even things out. Like, no, your body's like, Hey, what's easy here. Oh, let's, let's let the right side carry the bulk of the load. Right. I mean, it's just, that's just how our bodies work. So if you want to try to balance those things out a bit, which I would recommend doing one of the key things to do when it comes to strength exercises to do single leg stuff at a time. So it could be, um, some lunges could be some single leg squats. And if, if I can't do like an unsupported single leg squat, so I don't know if, if you can more power to you, but if you hear that and you're just like, yeah, it is. Yeah. No, there's no way I can do one of those. You do a single leg squat where you're holding a door frame or you're holding, you know, you're, you're holding something to support yourself with keep you, help you keep your balance, help you, help you go through the range of motion, but lower down, kind of sticking the one leg out in front of you and lower down, raise back up. And you know, you'll see real quickly, a, how much of an imbalance it is. Maybe it's a lot more than you think. Maybe you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure my right side's a little bit stronger than my left, but it's not, not too bad. And then you do something like that and you, you can almost do a, a one on your right side, but you can't even pretend to do one on the left side. And you're like, oh, damn. All right. Like I do have some work here. I do need to work these things out. Maybe you'll find your balance is much better on one side than the other. All right. Totally normal, but something to try to improve upon. Maybe you'll find your, your flexibility is much different one side of that. You can, you can almost touch your toes on your right side, but on your left side, yeah, good luck getting past your knee, you know, trying to reach down on, on just one side or the other. All those things are types of imbalances that can absolutely, maybe not completely lead to, but absolutely contribute to a recurring injury that can, seems to be something you just can't shake. And it's not because you're not doing your rehab or your, your preventative stuff, uh, you're not doing your rehab or the stuff to, to prevent, you know, the stretches of that one area necessarily. Maybe it's higher up the chain. 
Maybe it's something that's, that's tighter in your hip. Maybe it's a, it's a weakness in, in your hamstrings, one side versus the other, whatever it is. So uh, doing some of those single leg type of, of exercises, balance poses, things like that is a great way to, to identify where the weaknesses are or where the imbalances are, and then you know work them up to where they're... They don't have to be 50-50, but instead of being maybe 75-25, let's, let's you know get 60-40. 65, uh, I'm sorry, 55, 45, something like that. You can be there. You're going to be in pretty good, pretty good shape. So uh, hopefully that helps, John. Hopefully you're able to kick these uh, recurring uh, calf issues and uh, get, get healthy by correcting some of those imbalances. But thank you for the question. Great question. Uh, next one from Eileen says, uh, hi, Danny. What are your thoughts on chi running, uh, on the chi running form promoted by Danny Dreyer? Uh, have you ever experimented with it? So the, Eileen, I, I hope that, uh, that, that you and, and anyone else doesn't take this the wrong way. Because there's nothing wrong with, with the chi running form. Um, my thoughts on it, good form is good form. And if if uh, if you want to label it one way or the other, hey, that's cool. And and props to, to Danny Dreyer for um, labeling chi running, marketing it, selling a book about it, making lots and lots of money on chi running. Um, but it's just good form. It's just, like there, there's nothing there's nothing profound about chi running versus the pose method versus any other method label, or just, you know, the good tenets of good form, you know, landing with your foot underneath your center of mass, leaning forward, uh, upright kind of, you know, just like all of those things that are good form are good form. And he, he labeled it, made it, made something out of it, made some money from it. Kudos. Got to tip your hat to that. Uh, have I ever experimented with it? Not really because in the, in the early days when my form was terrible and I was injured all the time, uh, and I almost gave up running. I had never heard of chi running at that point, but I started looking into, into the physiology, running form, biomechanics, things of that nature. Uh, it's kind of a last ditch effort to, to s- save my running career. In actuality, it's more of like I stumbled upon some articles in runner's world, uh, back when runner's world actually like had good articles, um, and kind of started doing a little bit of research that way, yada, 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 um, totally revamped my form, totally changed things up. Um, and then, you know, by that point I was kind of into running more. I was enjoying it because I wasn't injured all the time. Heard about this chi running thing. I was like, Hey, let me check this out. Bought the book, started reading it. But like, this is everything that I'm doing already. Like there's nothing new in it that I hadn't already figured out from reading journals, studying biomechanics, knowing a bit about biomechanics anyway, and just going, Oh well, yeah. Okay. Good form is good form. Note to self, note to self. So again, I don't mean that to poo poo chi running. If you're a chi running fanatic, uh, Eileen or anyone else, keep, keep going with it. It's good form. It's, it's, it's good stuff, but there's nothing magical about it. It's just good form. Just good form. As far as, as far as I'm concerned, your opinion may be different and that's cool too, but, uh, let's not, you know, let's not kid ourselves. Good form is good form. And we all could use good form when it comes to our running. So thank you for the question, ma'am. Uh, next question comes from Jason. Just kind of powering through, but well, goodness gracious, we still got, still got a decent chunk of questions, but we're, we're motoring through at, at a good, good clip here. Hopefully we'll be done. I don't know, maybe an hour and a half or 45 minutes in. Let's see. Let's see how this goes. Uh, next question comes from Jason says, uh, I need, I, I know I need to have a much stronger core and I try to do strength training and yoga at each, at least once a week, uh, at my gym, but I struggle with getting motivated to put in that hard work that's needed. What are some easy exercises I can do at home, uh, with a weight bench, dumbbells, and without any other equipment that, uh, could help, uh, could help my glutes, abs, and, and hips. Um, good news, Jason, when it comes to strength training, especially when it comes to kind of lower body type of stuff. I mean, having some, some equipment is helpful. You know, you've got dumbbells, you've got a bench, you got some, you got some things, but man, it's not really required. 
you know, it's not really required. Going back to, to John's question, I mean, you can do, you know, obviously you can do lunges, squats, deadlifts. Those types of things are all great for your, your hips, your glutes, your, your, your hamstrings, your, I mean, those are just great exercises in general, great exercises for runners. If you've got dumbbells, well, then now you can do it with some dumbbells as well to add a little bit of extra resistance. Um, you can also do a lot of single leg stuff, which again, you don't need dumbbells for that. Um, and I would, I would imagine that probably doing some mixing some single leg stuff in there would, 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 uh, kind of, you know, would, would work you. You'd feel it the next day, you know, so doing some single leg squats, doing some, some single leg deadlifts, uh, doing some, some plyometrics, you know, talked about plyometrics on last week's quick tip. You could mix in some plyometric exercises into the mix. Again, do those without weights, just do those with your body weight, but now explode off the ground, whether it's jump squats, whether it's jump lunges, um, you know, plyometrics, great exercise. You can do those as well. Um, or actually did I, did I, did it, was that last week's episode or was that next week? Anyway, if I didn't talk about plyometrics last week, I'm talking about it next week. Sorry, letting the cat out of the bag here. We got, we got a plan in place to get stuff done on time around here. And now that, that, that makes me question when things actually went published and when things actually are in the queue waiting to publish. But anyway, I'm talking about plyometrics at some point. You can mix those in, um, you know, you using your bench, you can use step ups. You can step, you can just, you know, raise your, raise your leg up, step up to it and, and, you know, step up onto the bench. That doesn't sound like much, but depending on how high your bench is and how many reps you do, that can be a good workout. And again, you got a couple dumbbells, hold on to a dumbbell on each hand, do the same thing. So moral of the story is, is you don't need to go to the gym to do your strength training. You don't need to go to the gym, especially with what you have at home, what it sounds like you have at home. You got plenty of stuff there to mix in, you know, maybe one good gym day per week and once or twice at home. Um, and, and if that gets boring and you're still not sure what to do and YouTube, bro, you know, just dial up the YouTube type in, you know, strength training for runners, uh, strength training routines at home, body weight, strength training activities, whatever the world is your oyster. And there's, there's a lot of great programs out there. Uh, Sean Vig fitness, Sean Vig's a little, sometimes it can be a little bit of an acquired taste, but he, I've done a lot of his strength training workouts. They're really good. They're really good. Um, and there, there are all kinds of things that you can do with, with a dumbbell or without a dumbbell. I mean, without, you know, whatever, some equipment, if you have equipment, you have options, you have more options. If you don't have equipment, you still have plenty of options. So all that to say, you just need to do it and you can totally do it at home. Totally do it at home. Squats, lunges, planks, uh, hip extensions, um, hip bridges, all that kind of stuff. Uh, deadlifts and you're good. You're good. Just make it happen. Just make it happen. All right. Because you're right. It's definitely valuable to have a strong core, strong glutes, strong hips, uh, that, that stuff is all, all important for us as runners. And the only way to get stronger there is to do, to do the work. So you got to make it happen. Got to make it happen. But great question, Jason, and, and good luck incorporating that into the routine. Just make it, make it happen. And, uh, you'll see the results. I promise you there. Uh, next question comes from Liz. She says, let's talk elevation. Two of my races this year are at somewhere between 4,500 and 6,000 feet of elevation. I typically run at 300 to 500 feet of elevation, basically basically at sea level, right? Uh, so what can I expect and how do I best mitigate the effects? So Liz is kind of, uh, you know, kind of piggybacking off the answer that I gave, uh, to Greg earlier about the, the you know, training for a, a, a warmer, uh, weather race when it, when it's cold, uh, kind of the same advice when it comes to training for a, a race at, at higher elevation than what you're, you're used to. And that's just simply, you know, the, the more trained you are, the better, the better, the better your level of fitness, the less impact it's going to be. Now I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination, that it won't be different, that you won't feel a difference. All right. But if you, if you're, if you're well fit, well trained, prepared, tapered, ready to go for these races, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Um, is it going to impact you a little bit? I don't know. Maybe. Um, I will say this using, using myself as an example, which, uh, 
I don't know. You can take that. You, you can take that as a good example or a not good example. It's up to you. But when I ran Pocatello a, a year and a half ago, Pocatello, Idaho, Pocatello Marathon, I uh, ran it in when did I run it 2018, just September of 2018. Um, that race starts at about 6,000 feet. Granted, it does run mostly downhill, or at least the first half it's mostly downhill. Second half is mostly flat. But we ended up at about 42, 4,300 feet of elevation. All right, like you. I train, I train probably lower than you being in, in central Florida. I don't think, we, I don't think there's anywhere in Florida that's above 300 feet above sea level. I think that's, I think that's higher than, than our, our highest point. So I'm definitely, you know, went from sea level to not sea level for that race. I didn't notice any issues when it comes to oxygen, to, to feeling any type of altitude problems. Now, I don't know if I, if I'm less susceptible to it than others. That could be, I don't know. I haven't been, I guess I haven't spent enough time at, at, at various altitudes. I spent a couple of weeks here and there in, in Colorado, uh, in a, in a previous life, but not enough to, to like, and certainly not when I was running. So I, you know, maybe I just walking around, didn't notice it, but if I would have ran, I would have, I don't know. All I'll say is that when I ran Pocatello, I, I mean, I didn't PR that race, but I ran a, the strongest race I'd ever run to date for that race. Um, paced myself well, finished strong and never once was oxygen or lack thereof an issue. All right. I was fit going into it, felt good, rested, all that good stuff. And so all that to say, I think that if, if you go into those races with the same strategy of being fit, going into it, well-rested, well-tapered, ready to go and not freaking yourself out, not psyching yourself out, not getting in your own head about what am I going to do with these races at, at, you know, roughly somewhere between 4,500 and 6,000 feet of elevation. Like, yes, the oxygen level there is different, but it's not dramatically different unless you're really susceptible to it. So, uh, you know, if you can start getting up to 10,000, 12,000 feet, then yeah, yeah, it's going to make a big difference at 5,000 feet, 5,500 feet. Eh, you know, maybe pace yourself a little bit better uh, as far as start off just a little bit slower, because if you're not going quite as hard, your, your need for oxygen isn't quite as, as much, um, run by feel, just, just pace by, by your feel. Don't worry if your pace is a little bit slower than normal, because maybe that would be a way that it would show up and cause you problems. But, uh, I would expect that it's not going to impact you as much as maybe you think you think it's going to. All right. We'll see when it comes and certainly let us know. But, uh, in my experience running at 6,000 feet, 5,000 feet, eh, you know, not, not that big of a difference. Uh, especially when you're running at, at a marathon type of pace. Now, if you're going out there to run like a 5k, maybe then you'll really notice it because you're trying to hammer. But if you're doing a longer level, longer distance race, half full, something like that, where you're not trying to just kill it the whole way. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. I really don't. We'll see. But I think, I think you can relax a little bit and, and trust that good training is good training is good training and you're going to be fine. Uh, but thank you for the question and, and hope that, hope that, uh, my prognostication there turns out to be true when it's, uh, when it's go time for you. Uh, next question comes from Diana. She says, as a mom of three going through postpartum recovery, can you cover the pros slash cons of starting to run slash lift again before being cleared by a doctor? There are so many women who can't wait to start running, uh, again, just to start too early and then end up being injured for months. And I get it. Most docs are working with a one size fits all type of six to eight weeks recovery period, but I'm sure there is a reason, but I'm, but I am sure there is a reason to this madness. Um, so Diana, if I understand your question correctly, you're asking me to mansplain postpartum recovery running, right? <laughs> Woo boy. This is, this is, uh, this is dangerous territory and I must, I must tread lightly here. Um, what I will say is this, and, and, you know, this is, this is probably as vanilla of an answer as I can give. Uh, but obviously every woman is different. Every pregnancy is different. Every recovery, every postpartum recovery is different. All right. Um, 
And you're right. A lot of doctors kind of do that, that one size fits all kind of that CYA mentality of like six to eight weeks is the standard. So that's what we, that's what we tell people to just kind of make sure that they're fully recovered, even though probably there's a decent percentage of women that, you know, three, four, five weeks out, totally recovered to where they can start running again. Totally, you know, have the fitness level where that's not a problem, but across the board, let's just say six to eight weeks to be safe. There's probably something to that. All right. That said, you know, I'm not, I'm no fan of one size fits all advice. You know that. Um, and so my advice would be no one knows your body better than you do. Right. Um, so, so first and foremost, you need to judge what you're feeling like when you're, when you are ready to start going again, once you feel like you're ready to start going again, that's when it's time to talk to the doctor. All right. And, and see what he, he or she thinks about the situation. Um, they may not tell you, yeah, go ahead and run because there's some liability there and things like that. But they may be able to say, yeah, you know, you look like you're pretty good and, and you know, the recovery is here and this and that and blah, 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 blah. And you know, no real major red flags. All right. Which isn't, which isn't telling you, yes, go ahead, but isn't telling you, no, really you shouldn't go. All right. So have those conversations. Now, um, obviously if you're, if you're trying to have that conversation, your doctor's like, no, absolutely not. And you're like, well, what the hell? Like maybe it would have been nice to have that conversation before before the baby was born, before you even had, were pregnant, things like that. Something to think about, uh, you know, just like, Hey, you know, doc, I'm, I'm, I'm a runner. Um, and you know, I understand I'm gonna need some time off after the baby to, to recover and rest and, and let my body readjust to not having a baby inside of me anymore. But you know, how hard and fast are we on six to eight weeks out after, you know, to return to running? And the doctor may say, Hey, you know, like, yeah, that's the general guideline, but obviously every case is different. And, you know, we'll talk at, at, three weeks. We'll talk it for whatever you're like, we'll, we'll talk through it and kind of come to a, a consideration then. Hey, that sounds like a good doctor, right? Maybe you have one of those old school doctors like, no, eight, nothing until eight weeks, period. Just case maybe it's like, Hey, maybe we should look for another doctor. I don't, you know, I'm not, not here to tell you that that's what you need to do, but just something to think about. Uh, maybe before you're in the situation of being postpartum and trying to get back to running. Uh, another thing you can maybe try to do, and again, consult your doctor. Um, but maybe, you're not quite ready to start running yet. Or maybe you feel like you are, but the doctor's not quite on board yet with, with the jarring and the pounding of running. Um, but maybe there's some middle ground. Maybe you guys can, you know, you and your doctor can work on a, a solution where it's, you know, some swimming or it's some biking uh, or elliptical or something that's just not high impact. Maybe it's, you know, just doing more walking. Yeah, go ahead and walk. Walk all you want. Well, is it the same as, as running? No. Does it hopefully kind of scratch the itch, give you some of the good, you know, endorphins and, and the feel good hormones and things like that, that maybe aren't quite the same as running, but are better than nothing. Maybe. So, you know, kind of, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, but, um, you know, pros and cons, I, you know, I, I, again, I'm not going to try to, to mansplain all this, but, um, obviously, you know, as runners, we, we tend to feel better when we run. Obviously the con, if you, if you're running before your body's healed, whether it's from a pregnancy, from a stress fracture, from an IT band issue, like what, I mean, anytime you're running before your body's healed from a major trauma and let's not kid ourselves, no matter how you have the baby, whether it's, you know, vaginal or C-section, it's, it's major trauma going on there and your body is, is healing and recovering afterwards. You know, if you start running too early, it could, it could lead to other problems. So, you know, I would say probably err on the side of caution, but you know, especially like you say, going through postpartum recovery and those that, that are maybe going through postpartum kind of some depression, maybe some running would be a really good thing, but you don't want it. Like you said, you don't, so don't want to dive in too quickly injuries. Now you can't run for even longer. So have those conversations with your doctor, but ultimately, um, you know, your body better than anyone else. And I'm not encouraging you to go against your doctor's orders, but by any stretch, but you know, your body talk to your doctor 
and try to come up with those with that decision that's that's best for you, not best for general advice for the 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 average woman having a baby. If that if hopefully I, I walk that tightrope well enough on that answer. But uh, thank you for that question, uh, Diana. And then you have the uh, the not so serious question. She says, uh, uh, "I know that you are not a fan of Cadbury eggs." There, my dear, is an understatement and a, and a half. I, ugh, Cadbury eggs are disgusting. But anyway, uh, continuing with the question, but Easter is coming and so are the inevitable Cadbury eggs. What would you do if your daughter brought home a bunch of those disgusting candies uh, from school? I, I added the disgusting part, but if, if she brought a bunch of those uh, Cadbury eggs home from either school or a friend's house and asked you to eat them with her, what would I do? Diana? You want to know what I would do, Diana? I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly what I'd do. Sorry, babe. Not having them. Ain't doing it. No, sorry. Um, you know, not the first time I've told her no. Not the last time I'll tell her no. Uh, if she cries, eh, whatever. I'm impervious to tears. Um, I don't think she'll cry that much because if, if, if my daughter, who I love, has such poor taste that she enjoys Cadbury eggs, I can tell you who's not going to be upset that dad doesn't want to eat any. And that is sweet Addison Marie. She is, hey, more for me. More for me. That's my daughter right there. So, uh, yeah, there's not going to be any, any issues with Addie being like, are you sure you, you won't eat Cadbury eggs with me? No, dear, I won't. And I question your taste in now anything by the fact that she might like those. But if I have my way, she'll never even try one of those disgusting things. And uh, everybody wins in that scenario. But uh, thank you for the questions, Diana. And I and, uh, hope things are going well uh, with, with the new baby. And uh, good, to, good to hear from you. Thank you for the questions. Uh, next question comes from Brendan. says, uh, hey, Diz, can you talk about how to return to running? I've been running consistently for so long that uh, I don't even remember how I got started, but I've had to take three months off because of life and I'm struggling with where to start. Should I do short runs, run, walk, cross training? What do you think? So, uh, Brendan, it, it's, it, thank you for that question. And thank you for, for being willing to ask it because um, I think that's one of those things that a lot of us are like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll never not be running for a while, but life happens. Life happens, right? And so, uh, you know, it, it's easy for it to snowball. It's easy for, for this thing to lead to that thing and this work project and this family thing. And all of a sudden it's like, well, shit, I haven't run in, has it really been three months? Wow. I, yeah, I, I haven't run in three months. And then, like you said, it's, it can be a little bit tricky because what, what do you do? What, what do you do? Do, you, do you, The worst thing you can do and maybe the easiest thing that, that happens is that we start back into running and we're comparing ourselves to where we were three months ago when we were running regularly. So I think that the, the biggest thing, the most important thing that you can do as you're starting to get back into it is to almost try to, to wipe your memory clear, clear your memory of paces, of distances, of things that you used to be able to do that were easy when you were running consistently, all right? You'll get back to that point. It's not going to take you years to get back to where you were. It might take you two months, three months, four months. But if you if you start getting back into running again, and I hope you do, um, you'll get back to where you were. No question about that. But it can be very discouraging if you go back, you know, if you haven't run in, in three months and you're like, yeah, back, you know, I should be able to run it, you know, an 840 pace. Like, cause that was, that was an easy pace back then. And then you go out there and you're like huffing and puffing at 1015 pace. Like it's easy to go, well, screw this. I'm not doing this anymore. No, no, no. Just don't worry about what you used to do. Just tuck that away for now. Start where you are. So then, yeah, start with short runs. You might start with a, a run walk. That's that's viable. That's a viable option. You might start with just shorter and easier. Um, you might start with like all those options you suggested, cross training. All those are those are viable. All those are, are useful. I would mix a little bit of all of them in. Um, 
the one, the, the, the other piece of advice, so the big piece of advice, forget about what you used to be able to do and don't judge yourself based on that. Just start with where you are and start working back towards the, that progress. The other big piece of advice, whatever you're going to do, whether it's just short and easy runs, do some run walking, whatever, is aim to always finish your workout feeling like you go a little bit farther, at least for these first couple weeks. Because you want these first couple weeks back of, of running to, to leave a good taste in your mouth, to, to not leave you feeling like, damn, I've lost so much. But instead of like, oh, I miss this. I'm so glad I'm back. So glad I'm back to running again. So, you know, if you, if you could go for 20 minutes, cut it off at 15. And then the next time, you know, you could you cut it off at 17. And the next time you get to 20, but you could have gone to 25, you know? So, so keep, keep always finish knowing you could go a little bit more for the first couple of weeks. And then, and then worry about kind of pushing yourself a little bit farther, but get your feet back underneath you, start slow, ramp up gradually. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you might, you might be surprised, honestly, uh, Brendan, that you don't lose as much as you might think you have in three months. Um, especially depending on what you've been still doing, you know, just as life walking around, being active in life, you may not have lost that much, but again, forget about where you used to be, focus on where you are now and just start moving forward. And you'll be, you'll be back by this, by the summer, you'll be back to where you were before by the summer. I can almost guarantee it. If you, if you just be smart, progress slowly. So, um, I know that's not a specific, like nail down, do X, Y, Z, but you know, like a few of these questions today, don't overthink it. Just start slow. Keep it nice and easy. Don't worry if it's not as easy as you remember it to be. It'll come back to you. I promise. And, uh, welcome back to, uh, to the running community, my friend, not that, not that you're ever not part of the running community, but welcome back to being an active member active runner within the community. Um, and, uh, obviously if you have other questions along the way, just let me know. All right. Uh, next question comes from Eska. It says, uh, doing a half marathon for the first time and I'm slowly increasing my long runs, uh, 10% or so, as I've heard a lot about, but what about the other runs that I do during the week? Do they also get longer? And does the 10% rule apply to them as well? Currently doing, uh, so, sorry, currently doing something like four miles, easy runs, uh, with an eight mile long run. Thanks for what you do. And any advice would be awesome. So Eska, yeah, you know, um, one thing, so, so I, I'm not one that believes that you need to follow the 10% rule hard and fast. It's kind of, you know, to borrow a line from Barbosa in, uh, in, uh, parts of the Caribbean, it's more of a, of a guideline than a, than a set of rules, you know? Um, but, uh, but you're right. I mean, that's, that's a great kind of rule of thumb for increasing your, your distance. Uh, and, and basically what that, what that rule or rule of thumb says, just so we're clear is that total volume for the week should never increase more or should, you know, the rule of thumb is to increase it by about 10% per week. So that doesn't mean that every run is increasing by 10%. It's just that your total mileage for the week. So if you're running 20 miles this week and you want to increase to next week, you could bump up to about 22 miles next week. And then the week after that, you could bump up to about 22 and a quarter, right? And then about, uh, you know, then that would put you up to about, uh, about, uh, 2.5 miles the, the week after that, whatever you, you, you get how the math works on this. Um, so you, you have kind of have the option of, do you spread that out? evenly across all the runs? Do you focus on, on stacking up the long run a little bit, or maybe adding one mile to the, to the long run and a half a mile to your midweek runs, or, you know, how you got some, some variability in how you want that whole situation to play out. Um, there's not a right answer. There's not a wrong answer. I, I would say that probably, you know, if you're training for a half marathon, you want to focus a little bit more on the, the longer runs. Um, not to the detriment of the shorter runs. Of course, those, those midweek runs are valuable. Okay. But you know, I would say you'd be more fit more ready to go for a half marathon. If you get that long run up to 10 or 11 miles and you, you keep the, the midweek runs at four miles, as opposed to if you, you have all your, 
all your runs end up being, you know, six, seven, eight miles. You know, that might be an extreme example, but just goes to show that, you know, there's, 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 there's different ways to do it, but you don't need to worry as much about increasing the, the, the midweek uh, runs. If you want to, and you've got time to do that as far as time before the race and time in your, your schedule during the week, Hey, you got flexibility. You can do that. You can, you can push the, the long run up to, um, you know, eight, 10, 11 miles, something like that. And then start bringing the, the other runs during the week up a little bit more. Um, but you don't have to, you don't have to. So, uh, I hope that that makes sense, but yeah, I mean the, the 10% rule applies. It, it's not any one run specific. It's looking at a bigger picture of running. So it's looking at, you know, weeks, week to week, maybe even month to month, uh, how you want to increase things is about 10% is something that's, that's sustainable for your body to continue to adapt and, and respond to without, with a minimal risk of doing too much and potentially, uh, breaking down due to injury. So, uh, hope that makes sense, Eska and, and congratulations on, uh, on training up for your first half marathon. Looking forward to hearing how it goes. And obviously if you have other questions along the way, let me know. Next up, we got a, a trifecta of questions from my man, Tom. Uh, first one says, uh, I'm preparing to run my first marathon in October. Exciting, Tom. Congratulations for that. Uh, he says, when I trained for my first 5K, 10K and a half marathon, I regularly practiced running those distances. I do not understand why I would not schedule at least one 26-mile run in my training for a marathon. Can you, once again, explain your thoughts on this aspect of marathon training? So, um, yeah, the, the general rule, and, and you know how I love general rules, but the general rule, Tom, for marathon training, as I'm sure you've figured out, is to do a, you know about a 20-miler, one, maybe two 20-milers leading up to the marathon, and then you know, the bulk of your training... The, 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 the total, the total body of work of the rest of your training, along with those one or two 20 miles will be enough to help you get to the finish line of your marathon, help you get to 26.2 miles. And it will, it will. Is it the best way? Eh, I don't know. I don't know. So here's, here's kind of what I t- talked about in the book. Uh, the book, again, for those that aren't aware, I wrote a book all, all about how to train for a, a race, a marathon, half marathon specifically, but the same principles apply to any distance. It's called be ready on race day. You can check it out if you're so inclined. But when I, when I talk about it in the book, kind of give, there's three different kind of ways that I kind of look at it. There's, there's the, the get to that kind of 20 mile ish mark for a marathon, maybe 20, 21, whatever, but somewhere around 20 miles. Um, to me, it leaves a lot of uncharted territory. That last 10 K is a, is a long way to go when you've never run it before, but you can finish. So it depends on, it kind of depends on your goal. I think ultimately is what the answer comes down to. My thoughts on marathon training with the long runs really depends on your goal. If your goal is to finish the race, be able to get across the finish line, enjoy your life and you know finish with a smile on your face, which is a, a pretty good goal for the first marathon. Hey, train into 20 miles. It'll check that box. Now, if you're, if your goal is to uh, maybe finish a little bit, you know, if you've got a more specific time goal, something that's going to push you a little bit, uh, really kind of worried about finishing strong, having confidence going into that marathon, then maybe you, you get to kind of close, but, but not too close. So you get to 22, 23 miles, something like that. Um, so there's still a little bit of uncharted territory, but instead of it being a full 10 K it's a five K and you know, we, we can, we, if you can get that point, you can, you can tough your way through a five K on adrenaline and excitement of my first marathon. But for the first 10 K that's, that's a lot harder leap to, to rely on, uh, adrenaline for an hour, as opposed to relying on that adrenaline for 25, 30 minutes. So, you know, there's, there's kind of get to the 23 miles and then there's to do the 26 or beyond, you know, to make it to where, Hey, 26.2 on race day, been there, done that. Now, which is the right way? I, there, there is no right or wrong things to consider. If you're going to do 26 miles in training, that's not just that one week that you do 20, like that kind of impacts kind of the week before the week after. Because since this will be your first 26, first 26er, 
um, you know, you might want to taper a little bit the week before, then you do your 26 and then you're definitely going to be recovering the next week to where you're not going to have another strong, you know, 20, 22 miler after that. You're probably going to be doing 10 or 12 miles the next week for your long run. So it kind of is like to get that one 26 miler, you might be looking at that being a kind of a three week chunk of your training block just to get that one 26 miler. Is that more valuable than doing 18, 20 and 18? Maybe it is. Maybe it is from the mental perspective. Maybe it's not. So it's something, it's something to think about. Uh, but again, there's a lot of variables that go into it. One's not more right than the other. Um, it's just kind of how, you know, what your goals are impact it, uh, what your running experience is like, how much time you have to train up for the race. That certainly plays a factor. What your base is like right now. I mean, there's a, a lot of factors that come into play. Um, but if you would feel more comfortable getting to 26 miles before your, your marathon, Hey, it's doable. I've done it. I've had folks I've worked with that have done it. It's doable, but it's just, there's, there's more to it than just like, well, I need to do this. Like you don't need to, it, it can be beneficial, but you don't need to. Um, so I don't know if that really answers your question or not, Tom, but, uh, again, I mean, there's, there's multiple layers to this one and it's hard to just say it's smart to, it's smart not to, uh, it's a good idea. It's a bad idea. Like, eh, there's variables, there's variables and that, that always muddies the water, uh, no matter what you're talking about, but thank you for the question. And, and obviously, you know, as, as the race date comes closer, if you have questions, let me know. Uh, next one from Tom of the, of the, you know, part two of the three-parter, uh, what do you think about burpees on cross training day? I do not see many people recommending burpees for runners. Uh, could this exercise help me be a better runner? Yeah, I don't know if it'll help you be a better runner, but it's not going to be a problem. You know, I mean, you could, you could make an argument that burpees can kind of help with some hip mobility and hip flexibility, things like that. Um, burpees suck, you know, there's that. Um, maybe that's why people don't recommend them very much, but, uh, I don't, I don't see a problem. If it's something that you are, are interested in doing, you like the challenge of doing burpees. Hey, knock yourself out. Um, you know, there's multiple ways to do cross training and burpees is a viable, as viable option as anything else. So if that's something you want to do, Hey, I don't know that it's going to help you be a better runner. Probably not going to hurt you though. So, you know, knock yourself out, I guess. Uh, and then last but not least, which would you rather run a marathon where the temperature is 65 degrees Fahrenheit, but is relatively is really humid or 75 degrees Fahrenheit, but the air is comfortably dry. Honestly, Tom, neither of those sound that bad to me. Uh, I could, I, I'll handle both of those without, without, I would say without breaking a sweat, but I'd sweat in both of them. But I, 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 I would, I would very gladly accept either of those situations on race day. Uh, you know, put, put my feet to the fire. Do I have to pick one or the other? Um, I'd probably pick the, the, I don't know. I mean, I, I could really go either way. I would probably pick the, uh, the, the lack of humidity. So the 75, but comfortably dry over 65 and humid. But honestly, it's a coin flip for me. Like I really literally could go either way on that. Obviously that's a product of living in Florida and running in Florida year round. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're both, neither of them are, are absolutely optimal weather conditions, obviously, but I know a lot of us have run races, even long races in conditions that are much worse than that, uh, much worse than either of those. So, you know, either of them would be doable. Um, I don't know if either of them is really like the recipe for a PR, but you know, I mean, I guess, I guess if I'm, if I'm 75, but comfortably dry, as far as the humidity goes, that means my sweat is evaporating. So it's going to help me cool my body more than 65 and, and humid where the sweat's just sitting on you. It's not really cooling your body as much. So maybe there's more, but I don't know. I, now I'm overanalyzing it. I would take the, the dry heat over the, the, the humid heat as long as we're talking 65 versus 75. Now, if we're talking 65 and humid versus 95 and, and dry, <laughs> 65 and humid all day, all day, every day, twice on Sunday. But uh, interesting, interesting uh, uh, numbers that you chose there because to me, being in Florida, eh, 
six to one half dozen of the other on those two. But uh, thank you for the questions, Tom. As always, other questions, let me know. I uh, got one, two, three, four, five more. We are closing in on, on the finish line here. Uh, next one comes from Cheryl. She says, uh, as a new runner, all I've bought myself is a good pair of shoes. Cheryl, that is a great, that is the best place to start. So kudos for getting the good pair of shoes first and foremost. Uh, continue with the question. What else would help me as I start adding time slash mileage? What is one item you couldn't imagine running without? So, um, this is, this is one of those questions that gets harder for me to answer as the time goes, because that, that line between wants and needs gets blurrier every, every, every time I go for a run, you know, the, the watch becomes less of a, of a want and more of a need. And you know, the, the belt to hold my phone is less than a want and more of a need. And the fancy headphones, the wireless headphones, the Bluetooth headphones, less of a want and more of a need. But those are, those are clearly all wants. And, and I would say probably not the thing that you should focus on next outside of the, the shoes. So my, my answer, my advice to you, Cheryl, as a new runner, a, first of all, Welcome to Team Runner. Glad to glad to have you on board. Glad you glad you found our group. Um, and and obviously, if you have other questions along the way, you can ask them in the Q and A's. You can throw out a post in the in the group and get lots of advice and, and thoughts from other people as well. And, and believe me, I'm not. I don't. I don't have all the good advice. I, I like to think I have at least a little good advice. But there's plenty of people in the group that have lots of good advice to offer as well uh, and their perspectives on things. So please feel free to ask questions along the way. But to get back to your question. Um, I think that the, the, the next thing to, to invest a little bit of money into, and it is a little bit of an investment, is good running clothes. So, you know, um, you know Cheryl, as a lady, um, you know, sports bra. Get a good sports bra. You know, that's, that's probably, I, I would imagine that probably most of the leaders are going, that's, that's the next thing. Get a good sports bra. That's, that's, that's it. Obviously not something that I'm, I'm familiar with, but uh, I'm imagining... Getting a good sports bra, we we be top on the list, and then getting some type of sweat wicking running clothes, whether it's you know tank tops, long sleeves, uh, shorts, um, running tights, like whatever the clothing is that you're going to run in, um, it's worth getting some good gear there. You know, you can you can get by as I did for many years with getting the stuff from like Target, Walmart, things like that. That's kind of quote unquote running slash athletic gear, but what I found. And I'm certainly open to, to opinions from others on this, but what I found is that a lot of it it works great, but it falls apart a little bit quicker than spending you know maybe two or three times as much for a good quality pair of running shorts that lasts two or three or four times as long. So um, you know that's that's where I would next say not that you need to spend thousands of dollars to refresh your wardrobe, but get two or three good running bottoms, two or three good running tops, two or three really good sports bra. That's probably where you want to spend the most money, right? You know, especially depending on, on, uh, how big you are, obviously that that's, that may influence things a little bit more as far as how much of a need that really is, but you know, get, get those basics, get those essentials. Um, and then you can start branching out to other things, but like, you know, I, I love my watch. I love having some of the data, but like if I was new, you know, having, having an app going on my phone would be just as good as having an app going on my watch, right. Or having my watch telling me the data. So, you know, some of those things you can grow into a little bit farther down the road, Good shoes, good clothes to help prevent the chafing, help move the sweat away, especially, you know, I don't know exactly where you live, but you start getting into more of the, the warmer weather months, you start to sweat, you start to get the rub. That's, that's not any fun. Um, so, so get the, get the clothing next and then move on to, um, you know, some of the, 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 the more wants, the needs of the different apparel devices, uh, devices and, and, you know, electronics and, uh, hydration stuff and all that kind of stuff. You can get that down the road. Start with, start with the shoes. You got that move it to the close and then climb the ladder from there. So uh, thank you, Cheryl. Again, welcome to uh, Team Running. 
And uh, thank you for the question. Uh, next one comes from Brooke. She says, uh, a friend asked me to write a training plan for her. This will be her first half marathon. She's run off and on throughout her life, but never trained for anything. Obviously, I stressed uh, keeping all, all runs easy, at least at a talkable pace, but she says she can't. She says she's tried and she ends up going out too fast and usually ends with side cramps from doing, from going too fast. Any advice I can give her? So Brooke, glad you've been, uh, glad you've been listening, paying attention to the value of the easy run and, and trying to tell your friend to steer her in the right direction. Um, I do have a couple bits of advice. I don't know how much she's going to like it, but if, if she's really struggling with her pace that much to, to find something that feels easy, which is, which is common. A lot of people struggle with that. Uh, two things that come to mind first, suggest a run walk. So whatever it is, whether it's one minute run, one minute walk, two minute run, one minute walk, whatever. The variables aren't as important as scheduling in a regular walk. So then even if she does do her runs too fast, which sounds like it's probably going to be the case, she's not going out and running too fast for two, three, four miles at a clip. She's running for two, three minutes at a clip and then having to walk, catch your breath, reset, run again. So hopefully that will help with some of the stitches, the cramps, and help to be able to, to prepare for this, this first half marathon. Another option, which is a bit more diabolical um, than, than the run walk to begin with, but really could work, is you set targets for each mile marker, and she has to get there either slow, like either at that marker or slower, or else she has to walk. So let me ex- unpack that a little bit because I, I know that's a little bit complicated to try to, to wrap your head around. So let's say for sake of easy numbers, that the mile marker target is 10 minutes per mile. So that means her, her waypoints for her, for her runs are, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes for each, for one mile, two miles, three miles. Right. Um, so, so say she starts off at the first mile, goes out too fast. Like she, like she's apparently prone to do. She ends up finishing that, that first mile at eight minutes and 30 seconds, right? Just to keep the numbers easy. We're, we're picking these paces, but this sliding scale fit her, her level, her fitness, her paces that she should be running. Gets there at eight thirty. Now she's got to walk until she gets to 10 minutes. All right. So she gets there her first mile, 8.30. Now she's walking for a minute and a half. Now she's only got, whatever, she's got nine-tenths of a mile, something like that, to get to mile marker two. But her target is still 20 minutes. It's still 10 minutes each mile. So now she's got to slow down even more. She's going to be walking more, right? So now she's got to run from wherever she stopped walking. Once it gets to 10 minutes, she can start running again until she gets to mile two or until she gets to, to 20 minutes. Well, not or she runs till she gets to mile two. Then she checks the watch again. Did she slow down enough that she's at 20 minutes? Cool. She can keep on running. She gets to mile two and it's 20 minutes. If it's 20 minutes and 30 seconds, she's good to keep running. Doesn't have to stop to walk. But if she gets to to mile two and her watch says, you know, 19 minutes and 10 seconds. Well, now she's got to walk for 50 seconds. So she slowed down a bit, which is good, but she didn't quite slow down enough. Uh, And and, and that pattern just keeps repeating itself. It it forces her to kind of learn to pace yourself a bit more slowly because there's no reward in getting there faster because you just got to walk longer. So it's, like I said, it's a little bit diabolical and it can really snowball. And if you're not careful, cause you get there too early. Now you're walking too much. Now you're like, you're, you're itching to go. And now you're getting to eat faster each time, which means you're walking more, which means your running distance is less. It's, 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 it's a little diabolical. I'll admit, uh, but it can be effective too. So you know, those are two ways to kind of help her really control the pace. Uh, you, you know, she could get heart rate type of monitors or pace. You can set up pace alerts on your watch as well. Um, at least I think you know, depending on what kind of watch, what kind of gear she might have. I know for a Garmin, you can do that. You can set up just like I have my, my Garmin set to alert me when my heart rate gets too high. You can set your Garmin to alert you if your pace gets too high. So you can set it at 10 minute pace. And if anything faster than that, it starts to beep at you. That could be another way just to let her know that she's going too fast. But if she's really struggling, make her walk a little bit. That, that'll help her to figure out where the right pace level is 
at least hopefully, hopefully. But uh, thank you for the help, bro- or thank you for the question, Brooke, and thank you for helping your friend out. That's that's a cool thing to do, and uh, glad to to offer a little bit of advice along the way. Last two questions come from Chris. Uh, first says, not being fat adapted yet, do I still burn fat when I work in the low aerobic zones, or does that come after changing to a low carb, high fat diet? Yeah, you absolutely do, Chris. Um, so, so one thing that, that maybe is a common misperception is that you're either, you know, you either burning 100% fat, you're burning 100% carbs, and very rarely is that the, the case. Okay, um, especially at, at, at some type of moderate level of exercise. So, that, at very much rest, you might be burning mostly fat. At like absolutely balls to the walls, sprinting as hard as you can go. Uh, now you might be burning almost hundred percent carbs anywhere in between that you're burning a mix. All right. Now the, the key with being fat adapted is that your body becomes, it becomes more efficient for your body to burn fat, which, um, takes, which, which isn't the, the most easily, uh, accessible type of fuel source, which is why our bodies tend to prefer carbs. But the more, the more fat adapted you get, the easier it becomes. And so the ratio starts to tilt more from maybe, maybe 80% carbs to, to of 20 and 20% fat to getting closer to, you know, whatever, 50, 50 or 60, 40 or whatever. Um, so, so you probably, especially at running, you know, when you're running, you'll never be hundred percent fat burning, but becoming more fat adapted means that your, your need for carbs is less as you keep going. So that's what we're trying to get to, but you're absolutely burning fat now, as long as you're staying in that, those easy levels of training, you know, the, the zone two or below, um, the, the, the aerobic zones, absolutely burning some fat. And the more fat adapted you get, the higher percentage of fat you'll be burning at the same time. Uh, last question also from Chris, how can you tell whether a running shoe you bought off a website is the right fit type? Do you hope for a gracious return policy or go with the same style that you've been wearing or both? Um, Obviously, if you if you have a shoe that you like and it works for you, you, know, you can kind of rest comfortably there. But honestly, Chris, it's 2020, and with that, what I, what I what I mean when I say that is that most places that you're buying any type of reputable shoe company, running store, anything like that that you're buying from, whether it's in person, whether it's online, they're going to have a return policy that allows you to have running your shoes for 30 days, 60 days, something like that, and return them, no questions asked, if you don't like them. So you know, it's not like you have to pretend like you haven't worn them. Like, no, they say go run in them. Go run them. Give them 30 days. Give them 25 days. And then let us know. If you need to re- replace them, need to return them, hey, no questions asked. We'll take them back. Um, it's just as likely that, that your local running store is going to do that as you know the online running stores are going to do that. I would double check the return policy, but I would be shocked if in 2020, you're going to find a company that's like, yeah, we'll sell you the shoes, but all, all sales are final. Like that just, that, that doesn't happen. So you know, you, if, if you see a pair that looks good, you find a deal online, hey, grab it. If you don't like it, you can 99.9% return it no problem. Get your money back and try something different or just get your money back and not, not try something different. Totally up to you. But yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about buying shoes online these days because uh, it's not, it's the return process pretty seamless at this point. So that is it. Thank you guys for the questions. Good, good questions. Uh, as always, if there's comments, feedback, questions about any of the, the answers I gave, let me know at disruns on Twitter, at disruns on Instagram. You can also send an email, disruns at gmail.com. And last but not least, disruns.com slash 817 is the link to take you back to the show notes today. We got some links we got some memes we got some gifs we got all the things back in the show notes today you can check it out for each of the questions that were answered that were asked today little bit snippets of answers some extra bonus resources things like that where it makes sense so uh with that thank you all for listening made it through less than an hour and a half look at that look at that get on board get going a little bit less rambling on point love it uh, you want to get your question answered next month, disruns.com slash Facebook is the place to be. And it's not just for the questions. You know, I like to think we got a pretty decent group there on, on the Facebook group. So come join the party, disruns.com slash Facebook. Or once again, when you're on Facebook, just search for the Disruns Tribe. 
quick to join. We'll let you in. No questions asked. And as long as you don't turn into a douche, we'll let you stick around. So, you know, come in, have fun, troll us a little bit, post some memes, and uh, you'll fit right in. So uh, with that, thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed this one. If you did, press share. Send it send it to a friend. Uh, let them check it out and hopefully learn something as well. And uh, until next time, y'all, please be well. Take care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, all right? Take care, guys. <laughs>